You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's good to be here um, in 2023. Do we have a... New year, new res, are we a new, do we make resolutions? No. A- anybody make resolutions? Come on, don't be afraid. All right, I see some hands. James Garcia, always. It doesn't even make a new year. Uh, well, I did a quick Google search, uh, for the top 2023 New Year resolutions. Any ideas of the top three? Lose weight. You got it. Actually, that's number three, 41%. Eat healthy, number two, 44%. Exercise, number one, 48% of us say that we want to exercise more. Those have been the same three top resolutions, I think, ever since they took these polls, right? (laughs) But all three of these resolutions, like, they focus on our physical health. Don't they? Like to exercise more, to eat better, to lose weight. And in general, as a people, we, as the new year comes, we just, we want better health, right? Uh, that's generally true of us. And this is fact that 12% of all gym signups that are going to happen in a year, 12% of them happen in January, which is there's 12 months. So there's more gym signups in January, which led to one gym blog recently to post this on their website. It says, if you've been working out for a while, you're probably aware of the flood of new people that will be coming into our gym in January. It says this, please be a good sport about this January rush. I know the crowds are annoying, but these newbies are just trying to improve their lives and health. And honestly, most of them will be gone by February. The laughter indicates that we know this to be true, though, right? These New Year, New Me resolutions, they just dissipate over time. And sadly, sometimes quite quickly. Given the number of fitness apps and trackers that we have today, the fitness industry, I learned as I was looking at this, actually forecasts the exact day that there'll be significant decline in all of our fitness goals that we might have for the year. And this year in 2023, and they call it the fall off the wagon day, the fall off the wagon day. But this year in 2023, the forecasted fall off the wagon day, drum roll, is January 19th. January 19th, that 19 days into our new year, there'll be a significant dip that we'll observe in all of our apps and trackers. There'll be a dip in working towards these physical health resolutions that we all make. And I'm not here this morning to crush on people and their health goals, not at all. Physical health is very important. We should all strive for it. But if we're serious about health, which I know most of us, I think, are. But if we're serious about our health, then we know that we'll embrace, that we'll accept that there's just some things that we'll refrain and forsake and say no to, while at the same time, there'll be other things that we embrace and do in our lives. 
the truth that all of us know that good, vibrant physical health does not happen by accident, generally speaking, right? That our physical health does not happen by accident, but it's actually the product of persevering in our desire for good health. We put in the work, we suffer, we endure, we overcome. Why? Because we want it. We desire good health. We want the benefits that come with it. Well, if you have a Bible or on your phone, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Zach told me that I can preach on whatever I wanted today. Next week, we'll resume in 1 John. You can bring your journals back. But whenever Zach tells me that, I usually end up in Peter because I love Peter. He's a guy that I can relate to, loves Jesus, but might not be the smartest guy. But Peter is writing to an ancient church, a church whose world has really been turned upside down. Peter's writing to a group of believers who've been scattered by either political or religious persecution. And everything in their lives is uncertain and unstable. So as we read through Peter, first and second, we see this pastoral encouragement and wisdom telling ultimately the Christian how they might endure in living in such a time as they were living in. How might they endure? And so as we think about our own lives in 2023, as we look at this year, knowing full well you yourself, the challenges, the obstacles that perhaps you know, anticipate coming this year, and perhaps even unforeseen challenges or obstacles. The question I really want us to look at this morning on January 1st is, how might I grow this year in my faith? How might I grow this year in my faith? How might I endure? How might I endure beyond 19 days? Well, Peter's going to tell us, ultimately, that you've got to be in your Bible. That you've got to want this book. You have to desire it. That the truth, just as in our physical health, that ultimately, that good, uh, vibrant spiritual health does not happen by accident. That growing up in our faith is predicated on our desire of knowing God through his word, this Bible. That's our big idea, that growing up in our faith is predicated on our desire of knowing God through his word, the Bible. Let's turn again to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you. Lord, acknowledging our need for you to open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. May your words breathe life into us this morning. We pray that your word changes us this morning. We need you, Jesus, to do that by the power of your spirit and by the power of your word. Amen. Well, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, just the first three verses, very short. And we're going to see that growing up in our faith, it involves that we forsake some desires. There's a removing of desires. And secondly, that there's ultimately a desire that we must crave or long for. So there's desires that we remove, and there's a desire that we must 
possess or crave. First, uh, some desires that we are to forsake. We see this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter writes, so put away, or perhaps your translation says rid yourselves, but put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And this verb to to put away or to, to rid yourselves is a verb which communicates someone taking off or removing their clothes. So when Peter says, put away or remove or rid yourselves of these desires that he states here in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter imagines the Christian that he's writing to removing these desires as if they're removing soiled, dirty, stanky clothing. I grew up in Iowa. Great bowl win yesterday, though, right? Come on, Hawks. (laughs) Didn't mean to say that. I grew up in Iowa, and we usually get made of made fun of for either the flatness of our land or the smell of our pigs. When my older brother was in high school, one summer he worked for a pig farmer. And every day when he came back home, my mother only allowed him into the home if prior before coming in, he removed all of his clothing in the garage. It was kept outside. There was no way that my mother, and thank the Lord for her, was going to allow the stank of that pig farm into our home. In the same way, our Heavenly Father will not tolerate, will not allow the stank of these sinful and really selfish desires that we see here in verse 1 to come into His home, to, to come into His presence. And so these desires that Peter lists here, he says they must be put away, they must be removed from our hearts. You with me? And and Peter telling the Christian to put away these desires, to remove these sinful desires, he isn't, and this is important, he isn't telling the Christian to try harder or to be something that they're not. It's it's quite the opposite. He's actually calling the Christian to live in light of who they already are. If you're familiar with Peter, or if you were to be reading through Peter, you would know that this follows a couple different indicatives. It's always indicatives before commands. It's truths before commands, indicatives before imperatives. And so we would look back and we would see as we're reading through in verse 22 that Peter already said that your souls have been what? They've been purified. And in verse 23, he says that you've been born again. And if we were to continue reading through chapter 2, we would see in verse 9 that that we have been uh, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so because we've been purified as Christians, because we've been born again, because we've been brought out of darkness into his light, we no longer tread the dark and murky waters of these former way of life of sinful and selfish desires, desires which have no place in the kingdom of God. And because we're just dropping into, parachuting into the middle of Peter's letter, It's important to understand that Peter mentions these five particular desires for a reason of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. The church is in trouble, right? The church is facing persecution, and under this weight, it's a church that could easily turn on itself. And so the church needed to be united. And so Peter lists lists these five attitudes that would fracture or divide this church. These are 
community-killing desires or attitudes. Malice is nursing a grudge. It's a slow, boiling anger that eventually leads us to that place of callous indifference, of committing an action, regardless of what it is, to whoever is in front of us. Deceit is saying one thing but meaning another and employing our words as bait to control or manipulate to get what we want. Hypocrisy is pretending to be one thing while actually being another. Grossly inconsistent in what we say in public and what we do in private. Envy is the gnawing sorrow that we feel when another has a possession or relationship or an experience we believe we deserve. Slander is intentionally seeking to tear down the life of another to get what it is that we want. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. All five of these desires points not to Jesus, but ultimately to us, to me. To an overwhelming desire to promote myself or ourselves above everyone else, which is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is considering all others above ourselves, right? See the cross. Therefore, this desire of self, these attitudes of really selfishness must be, as Peter says, put away, removed, forsaken. And for Peter's readers, this desire of self would be of absolutely no help in the time that they faced in this persecution or trial. And it's of no help for us either as we go into the year of 2023. These desires will be of no help. How do I grow up in my faith? How do I last longer than 19 days? Well, first Peter says we must put away something. We must remove something. Rid ourselves of any desire that we have within ourselves to promote self. These desires of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. But that's not easy, is it? I love myself. I love the promotion of self. It's kind of why social media exists, isn't it? In fact, I'd say it's entirely impossible to remove these sinful and selfish desires unless you crave something more and better and greater. The desire of knowing God through his word. Notice as you look here at verse 1 and 2 that Peter doesn't counter this list of selfish attitudes or desires with a list of godly virtues to pursue, does he? He doesn't. He simply yet profoundly there in verse 2 calls the Christian to a greater desire, a greater desire than that of himself. Look with me at verse 2. We've put away these selfish desires and and then in 2 he says, like newborn infants, long, desire, crave something else, crave something better. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Our growth into salvation, our growth into godliness to to forsake these sinful attitudes, our growth into holiness to remove these selfish attitudes, our growth in pursuing Jesus, all of this growth and growing up as a Christian is all tied up, Peter says, in intaking and drinking of this spiritual milk, our Bible, this book. 
For to Peter, only in this gospel word are Bibles given to us by God. May we be liberated by these sinful attitudes. Liberated, but also this gospel word which keeps us from these sinful attitudes. And so Peter calls a Christian to forsake these attitudes, these desires of selfishness through possessing a greater desire of knowing God and the truth of him in his word. Are you with me? So when Peter tells the Christian to drink of this pure spiritual milk in verse 2, I do believe that it's a clear reference to the real physical words that we see here printed in our Bibles that we have today. But I also think there's something more as well. This pure spiritual milk that we are to drink is the word of God, but it's also the God of his word. Peter says our godly growth is for who? Verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you've tasted that the Lord is good. Meaning you know who God is. You know the Lord. You've experienced his character. You've drank of his saving mercy. The pure spiritual milk we are to drink is both the word of God and the God of his word. Why is that important? Because Peter isn't telling us to make sure we just study and study and study and study and study the Bible without any engagement with God himself. No, we go to the Bible to find out who God is. To know him. Therefore, we don't pursue a list of rules to check off. To overcome a heart of selfishness and sin, we pursue a person, the person of Jesus Christ. When I give my children a responsibility, I'm not entirely satisfied in just their observation or studying of my words. Such as if I was to tell my girls, like, hey, please make sure you pick up all your toys before dinner time. There's kids in here, so this is great. To which then, perhaps, if I was to say that, and Lucy, our six-year-old, might turn to her three-year-old sister, Hazel, and say, well, Hazel, what do you think Dad meant when he said toys? Is that books and puzzles? Like, what is a toy, right? Or Hazel, how did it make you feel when Dad said, by tonight, or by dinner time. What emotions did that bring to your heart, Hazel? Or Hazel, what do you think dinner time means in the Greek? Because if we understand the Greek, we'll understand what Dad is saying here. Of course, I want my children to listen and obey my words, but more than anything, more than anything, I want my children not just to hear my words, I want my children to know me. I want my children to know that their father loves them, that their father cares for them, that their father desires their best in this life. I don't just want them to know the words that I say. I want them to know me. How much more with our Heavenly Father? How much more? How much more with our Heavenly Father? 
He's given us his word, this Bible, that we might know him and find eternal life. Amen? How do I grow in my faith? How might I last longer than 19 days? Well, Peter is telling us, hey, you got to be in your Bible. You got to want it. You got to love this book. And Peter offers us a helpful illustration that we are to desire God and his word in the same manner as a newborn baby or infant desires milk. You see that there in verse 2? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. It's a helpful illustration because I think a lot of us understand that. Some of you have personally experienced this, how a newborn baby just instinctively knows they're hungry. No one tells a newborn infant like, hey, I want to grab a bite to eat. No one does that. Newborn babies just know like within like five minutes of life, like I'm hungry. I've seen all three of my kids come out of the womb hungry and they know how to communicate it. Loudly, repeatedly, incessantly crying out, I desire food now. It's this repeated, incessant crying out, instinctive desire that we as Christians must possess for our own need to be sustained by the life-giving power of God's word, just as a newborn infant with milk. Yet, yet unlike where this illustration kind of divides here, is yet unlike a newborn infant, we the Christian, we're going to have to cultivate. We're going to have to effort. We're going to have to work on this desire of knowing God through his word. It's not going to come instinctively or naturally. It will require effort. We'll have to work for it. We'll have to want it. Some of you might be thinking this morning, well, I've tried reading the Bible before, but honestly, like, I don't get much out of it. Some of you might be saying, I, I, I do desire to read the Bible, but it's a big book. There's so many authors, so many books. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin or what I'm supposed to read. On one hand, reading the Bible is going to take effort. It is going to take work. There's no way to sugarcoat that. It's not just all unicorns and mountaintops and all the you know, fluffy things. But on the other hand, I promise that you'll discover as you dig into God's word and make effort, there's a great enjoyment and appreciation for God's word. I had never drank in a cup of coffee until the age of 31. It was the morning after Lucy was born, our six-year-old. In fact, my wife, Emily, can attest to my disdain, disdain for all those who drank coffee. And David Jordan, I hear right here. I feel so fearful. He loves good coffee. To me, coffee was a terrible tasting, teeth staining, horrific addiction that should never be adopted by anyone, especially Christians. I was principled. Yet after that first sleepless night, I broke on my stance towards coffee. And I remember that first time, going to the kitchen, taking that cup, filling it half with coffee and the other half with creamer, 
lifting it up and saying, until she's 18. (laughs) But like a lot of drink or food, there's an acquired taste to it, isn't it? At least in my experience, you, you learn to love it, to cherish it, to actually look forward to a cup of coffee in the morning. That's where I'm at seven years later. I found a deep enjoyment and appreciation for coffee. And as we come to God's word again and again and again, there's this same effect. A deep enjoyment and appreciation for the word of God, for we begin to see and realize and experience that it's only through God's sustaining word that we're actually put to life. That only a saturation in God's word is what keeps us from this list of selfish and sinful desires of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Because God, as we drink of his word, imparts his eternal life into us through the power of his spirit and the power of his word. And that without God's word in us, we'll actually shrivel up and die. Much like our need for coffee in the morning, but far more serious. Much like the need of milk for a newborn baby, but far more serious, we Christians must intake, we must drink of this book of God's word. We have to have it. We have to have it. Let me close by giving four practical ways we might all grow in our desire for God's word. Four practical ways, and then we'll be done. Number one is don't spoil your appetite. Don't spoil your appetite. Why do we tell our children no to snacks right before dinner? Because we want our child to fill their stomach with a nutritious meal. We all know and have seen how a belly full of sugar and processed whatevers is terrible and awful. And we know that a nutritious meal leads to something good and helpful for our children. This is why Peter tells us to to put away, to remove certain desires from our lives. Because when we feast on things that promote self above anyone else, we spoil our appetite. When we feast on things unholy, we spoil our appetite. When we feast on things of hopelessness and despair, we spoil our appetite. When we feast on things that don't care about God and his righteousness, we spoil our appetite. Don't spoil your appetite. Secondly, consume it every day. Consume it every day. How many times a day do newborn babies need milk? I have no idea. They give you that little yellow sheet. I think, is it every two hours or four hours? It's a lot, right? It's like every couple hours. Some of you might only get your Bible when you come here on Sunday mornings to church. Perhaps the last time you opened your Bible app was last Sunday. But imagine if you fed your baby one day a week. What would happen to your baby? Probably die, whoever said it over there. But even if a baby were to survive, imagine how this child would be severely malnourished, like gross, significant growth defects, right? As humans, we have to consume nourishment in order to properly grow and into 
properly grow in our relationship with Jesus, we must consume the nourishment found only in God's word. I love this quote by Pastor J.D. Greer. He says this, There are 1,800 verses that record Jesus' words. Of those 1,800 verses, 180 are quotations from the Bible, meaning 10% of everything Jesus is recorded as saying was a quotation of previous scripture. He was saturated in it. Are you? How much of your speech would be scripture quotation? Do you think you need it less than Jesus? Don't be a malnourished Christian. Don't rob yourself the ability to grow up in your faith. Our world doesn't need any more toddler-like Christians. Kim, our toddler room is full, correct? She can't hear me. But I know it's full. We have enough toddlers. The toddler room is full. What our world needs is adult-like Christians anchored upon the eternal word of God. We possess, every one of us, a constant, a need for a constant drip, a continual pour of God's eternal life-giving word into our souls. I suspect most of us agree with what I'm saying. And perhaps at the same time, internally calculating the busyness or the chaos of your everyday life. Saying, I get it, James, but you don't know the stress and demands of my life. You don't know my kids. Let me say it like this. Even amidst your busyness, you somehow find some time to eat food, don't you? And even if your day was to be so chaotic that you missed every single meal, which has happened, I know for me, and probably for you, but if that happens, do you also miss the next day meal as well? Would you go two days without eating food? Probably not. You're probably crafting a plan to eat food amidst the chaos of your busy life. When the word of God becomes as essential to you as eating, you won't miss it for days on end, period. Consume it. And thirdly, consume it together. Consume it together. The common denominator for any who who sustain their physical health goals and resolutions according to the same app who forecast this fall off the wagon day, it's not revolutionary, but it's those who do this together in a group. And this makes sense, right? There's power in a community of like-minded people striving for the same thing. Like sustaining our physical health goals, we need the help from others to continually uh, remind us and grow us of our goals. We need to be reminded again and again of the purpose and reason to keep on going. We need the accountability to follow through on the things we know we must do. We need encouragement that the hard work and effort is worth it. That's one of the reasons why community is such a pillar of our church. You know, if you're here today struggling to read your Bible and you tell no one about it, you don't let anyone in on your struggle, I can be fairly certain, fairly confident that you'll very soon stop reading your Bible. But if you're struggling to read your Bible and you bring others into that struggle, you invite others into what's going on in your life, invite others to encourage you, to brainstorm with you creative ways, 
perhaps others in similar stages of life. Invite others to listen to the things that God is teaching you through his word. I can be fairly certain to say that you'll last longer than 19 days pursuing knowing God through reading your Bible. Consume it together. And fourthly, watch the results. Part of any athlete's training program is their nutrition plan. Professional athletes spend thousands and thousands of dollars on chefs and nutritionists, every single thing ingested into their body, scrutinized and strategized for a singular goal to make them stronger, quicker, more enduring. Athletes consume all this good stuff having in mind the results they need to compete, to endure. Likewise, as we consume and feast on the good, eternal, life-giving word of God, we can watch the evidence, the effect that has on our spiritual health. God's word will not return void. God's word will change you. So as we drink of it, as we intake of it, we can watch the results. We can see the evidences of God removing our desires for self. These desires and attitudes of of malice, of deceit, of hypocrisy and envy and slander. We can see those melt away. God's word changes you. Don't fail to rejoice in the goodness of God's life-shaping ways through the power of his word, but celebrate it. Watch for the results. Four ways to grow in our Bible reading. And I'm with you. Don't spoil your appetite. Consume it every day. Consume it together. And watch the results. Growing up in our faith is predicated on our desire of knowing God through His Word, the Bible. What's your desire this year? What's your desire this year? In what ways are you trusting God to change you in 2023? In what ways are you trusting God to change you this year? How will you last longer than 19 days? Peter says you've got to be in your Bible. You've got to want the book. You've got to desire it. I want to encourage us to be a church this year that's fueled and guided, anchored in God's word, that this would be our greatest desire. To know God, that we would see the power of his word change us, that we'd live dependent upon it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you how your word does change us, how it does put us to life. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. That how by through your spirit, by the power of your word, we can live lives that are honoring to you and ultimately a blessing to all those around us. So Lord, I pray that as we enter this new year, we would have a desire to grow and to know you, Jesus. Lord, help us. You know the, the just you know every one of our everyday lives, the challenges that confront us. Lord, you be our help. Lord, I pray that for any here who do not know you, Jesus, that you'd be very near and Reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that there would be courage to perhaps ask a question, to call a friend, to take a step of faith in knowing you this year, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.